Mark 8, verse 34, Then he, that's Jesus, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me simply, before we come appropriately to the Lord's table and focus on the cross of Jesus, let me focus on three simple themes to kind of takes to hang our thinking on this morning from these verses. Here's the first one. Inclusive invitations. Jesus is now drawing towards the conclusion of his ministry on earth. At the beginning of his ministry, you know, he, he went around and he chose 12 men to be his disciples, his followers, his apostles. He walked by and he called them. He simply said to them, follow me. And for almost three years, these men had done just that. They'd followed Jesus, not from a distance, but close up. They'd walked with him day by day. They'd travelled with him. They'd seen him at first hand. There was no kind of hidden life that they hadn't observed. No private life. They'd seen him, as we would say today, 24-7 for three years. But now at this particular point in time, he reissues his call to his disciples. The call to follow. So, why now? For a very good reason. All that the disciples had seen thus far of Jesus, and we'll see this as we go through Mark's Gospel, they've been kind of clues to his identity. All the things he'd done and said had pointed towards who he really was. And people have been speculating, who is this man? Jesus just asked them, who do people say that I am? And some people said, oh, some people think you're Isaiah or Jeremiah, one of the great prophets, or Elijah come back to life. Other people have said, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But then Jesus turned to them and said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the rest, said, you are the Christ. It was the right answer. Jesus was God's promised Messiah. They needed to understand who he is. But though the disciples were right about the identity of Jesus, the Messiah, they didn't understand his ministry, what was involved, what he was about to do. So now Jesus begins to explain from this point, this chapter is really a watershed in the Gospel. From now on, his life heads in a different direction. He begins to explain to them what he must do. If you've still got the Bible, now look at verse 31. If you look previously in verse 29, Peter has answered, he's asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. Now, this is unthinkable to his disciples. They've got an image in their mind of a Messiah who's a glorious, conquering hero. And so Peter, again speaking on behalf of the rest, lets him know in no uncertain terms this cannot be true. 
verse 32. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But there is no mistake. Jesus responds in the strongest terms, verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And it is at this point then that Jesus reassures his call to follow. And he tells his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to follow the same way that I have gone, that I will go. He says, if you're going to follow me, it means taking up your cross. Now, there are many people who are attracted to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Some are impressed by his tremendous teaching. They read the Gospels and say, this is, this is really remarkable teaching. It still is. Uh, some people are attracted by his fantastic miracles, especially those who are recipients of them. Maybe you're that kind of person who's heard about Jesus and you've come to church or you've met someone in, or maybe just in your own you've prayed and said, Jesus, help me, my life's in a terrible mess. And in a remarkable way, God has met with you. And so we follow him after a fashion. But there comes in a point in our lives, there must come a point in our lives where we realize that following Jesus is no easy option. It is no part-time pursuit. But it is literally a matter of life and death. All or nothing. And it is to such people, to maybe some of us here this morning, that the Lord Jesus Christ says, now, at this point in your life, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Maybe you're that kind of person this morning. You've been attracted to Christ drawn to him in some way. God has begun to work in your life. Maybe you've had little or nothing to do with, with Christians or Christ most of your life. And now God has stepped in in a special way and you've begun to discover what it means to follow Christ. You might even say, well, I, I am a follower of Christ. But you're a follower on your own terms. You've never faced up to the radical demands of discipleship. The costly call of following Christ. Now, that is the challenge. Can I also say, you can have worshipped in Charlotte Chapel all your life and never come to terms with the radical discipleship of following Christ. You may have been brought up in this church. You may have been brought up in a Christian home. And for you, being a Christian is just kind of your culture. Just the way things are. And if you're in need, oh yes, you'll call on Christ to help you out. And maybe you go through the motions of what it means to come to church and you sing the songs and you, you, you come on your own terms. But you've never faced up to the radical demands, the challenge of following Christ. Notice also the invitation that Jesus offers is an inclusive one. It is not limited just to his disciples. Notice what verse 34 says. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. The call of Christ is to all. I don't know. Maybe you're here in church and you've not been to church ever or this church in your life before. Maybe you just walked in off the street. Notice the repetition of the words, anyone and whoever. You see, the followers of Jesus are not limited to a certain race or a certain ethnic group, to a certain social class, or you've got to have a certain academic ability, or any other human distinction. The message of Christmas that we just celebrated was first brought to humble shepherds and they were told it's good news, great joy for all people. It's good news, the gospel. Expressed probably in the best 
known verse in the Bible, the one that you see people holding in placards at all sorts of sporting and other uh, major events. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This indication this morning is for you. Whoever you are, whatever you may have done, good or bad, wherever your background, your race, your religion, whatever it may be, this is an invitation, an offer to you. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But these words remind us of a second theme, not just inclusive invitations, but what I would call non-negotiables. A couple of months ago, our dog, our wee Westie, ate my hearing aid. Well, I'd left it in the bedroom and somehow he got up the stairs, it's a little hearing aid, and he, I left it on the bedside table and somehow he must have thought it was, uh, I don't know what he thought it was really, but uh, he didn't strictly eat it, we just found small pieces of it scattered all over the, the bed and the floor. I discovered it was quite valuable. Uh, it's been kindly given to me by a friend in Edinburgh who had given it to me. So I rang up our insurers to make a claim because we have, you know, one of these household insurance policies. And I said, our dog has eaten our hearing aid. Well, it's destroyed the hearing aid. I'd like to make a claim. And our insurance agent said, I'll check it out and ring you back. Guess what they said when they rang, rang back? I'm sure you can guess what I'm going to say. They said, I'm afraid in the small print your insurance policy has a pet exemption. Which means anything your pet does is not covered. Now nobody told me that. When I took out this wonderful policy, they said it's a fantastic, this is the best policy for you. But nobody told me it had pet exemption. It was hidden away in the small print. These kind of things always do that, don't they? They highlight the benefits. They downplay any of the costs which are hidden away. And unfortunately, churches and Christians in a laudable desire to encourage others to follow Christ sometimes do the same thing. We emphasize the real and wonderful benefits of following Christ, but we downplay the real and painful costs of following Christ. But Jesus himself never did that. If anyone would come after me, he says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. J.C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century, commented, These are hard sayings, but they admit of no evasion. The words of our Lord are plain and unmistakable. If we will not carry the cross, we shall never wear the crown. More recently, William Barclay remarked, on the startling honesty of Jesus and added, No one could ever say they were induced to follow Jesus by false pretenses. So Jesus urges those, and you imagine, if you'd be one of the disciples, you'd think, hey, we're onto a winner here. You know, they start off these 12, and as they go around, it's like they're gathering crowds everywhere they go. And soon there are hundreds, thousands of them, literally. We know on one occasion that Jesus fed 5,000 people. Well, actually, 5,000 men. It didn't count the children and the women. There were thousands. It was the most popular thing happening in Israel. And it must have seemed a wonderful thing to the disciples. And then Jesus stands up at this crucial point in his ministry and says, if you really want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. 
He says, if you're going to follow me, these two things are essential. To come after Jesus, that is to follow after him, hard on his heels, in his footsteps, means to deny yourself. Now that doesn't mean what we normally associate it with, depriving yourself of certain pleasures in life, though it may include that. No, it's much more fundamental than that. A famous commentator, C.E.B. Cranfield, explains, to deny oneself is to disown not just one's sins, but oneself. To turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. You see, all of us by nature are self-centered. We want to go our own way. We want to keep the reins on our own life. We want to follow our agenda and no one else's. Following Christ means letting go of the reins of your life. It means going where he wants you to go, doing what he wants you to do. And where does he go? What does he want you to do? He goes the way of the cross. He does not do his own will, but the will of his Father. So those who follow him, if we are genuinely followers of Christ, we must do the same. You must deny yourself, and he says to make it even more stark, you must take up your cross. The picture of a condemned criminal carrying the crossbeam of his cross on the way to execution was a familiar one to Jews in the first century. In 4 BC, the Roman general Virus had crucified 2,000 Jews in one day. It's not an attractive image to those who heard the words of Jesus. Yet it was deliberately chosen by him to convey the high cost of being his follower. In his commentary on Mark, if you want a good commentary on Mark, Larry Hurtado, who's now at New College, has got an excellent commentary. He writes, In Mark's time, the cross was not just an indication of possible death for disciples. It was a warning of execution by the state authorities. And so it turned out for them for many of these followers of Jesus, and down the centuries to our present day. It is a literal cost of following Christ. There were more martyrs for Christ in the 20th century than all the other 19 put together. And I suspect it's going to get more and more difficult. Now, we in the West don't expect to be executed by our government for following Christ. But I wonder, if that were a likely possibility, how would it impact on our discipleship, even our decision to follow Christ at all? You see, somehow we think this kind of costly discipleship is for a special group of Christians, you know, those who are particularly dedicated, those who are particularly keen followers of Christ. And go back to insurance again. We kind of think there are two options for a Christian. You you can either have third-party fire and theft or fully comprehensive. So Christians talk about You can receive Christ as your saviour. He'll forgive your sins and and you'll be sure to go to heaven if you've made a decision to follow Christ. Or you can choose the more costly option of following Christ as Lord and let him control your life and everything that you do. But Jesus never offered such choices. Only the one option to deny yourself, to take up the cross and follow him. For if you follow Jesus, it must be the way of the cross. You see, Jesus is not like one of these leaders that we see around today who plan these suicide bombings of planes or airliners while remaining safe behind the scenes, masterminding their strategy. No, Jesus leads from the front by denying himself, taking up his cross, and we are called to follow him. The denial of self, the way of the cross, were non-negotiables for Jesus. They are non-negotiables for his followers. And if you and I were to discover in Charlotte Chapel in 2004 what it means to follow Christ, you cannot do it in a half-hearted, haphazard way on your own terms. It is an all-or-nothing thing. 
It may not literally involve a cross or physical death, but it means giving up the rights to our lives, placing our lives and our future in his hands. So, let me ask you this morning, if I was to go round this congregation of those of us who profess to be followers of Christ, let me ask you, what is it costing you to follow Christ? What has it cost you to follow Christ? Has it involved you in any cost at all? In any sacrifice? If not, then we are probably not following him at all. If so, it should cause us finally to ask a question. Is it worth it all? So notice finally, after stating the non-negotiables of following him, Jesus then concludes by reminding his hearers of a final theme, which I've called critical choices. Is the cost of following Jesus too high? See, this is the only, you will only ask this question if you've really faced up to what it means to follow in Christ. Would we be better to opt for pleasing ourselves, abandoning the way of the cross? Jesus goes on to say that his way is the best for two reasons. One concerned with the present and one concerned with the future. As he focuses on winners or losers. Jesus says, if you choose to go your own way, to save your own life, then you will lose it. In contrast, Jesus promises that those who lose their lives, who give them up to follow him and make the gospel, the good news about Jesus, known, will save their lives. If you lose your life, you will save it. There's a kind of paradox, isn't there? Another writer comments, this is the way of total freedom. If you clutch your life wholly to yourself, protecting it against all others, asserting your rights, needs and privileges, you lose it because it isn't life any longer. If, however, you acknowledge that life is not yours by right, that it's a privilege that is to be lived in the love that the gospel story reveals, self-giving love, then you possess it wholly. There is now nothing to lose and everything to gain. In the famous words of Jim Elliot, who gave his life for Christ in the jungles of Ecuador at the age of 29, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Or in the best known words of Jesus, the crucial question What good is it if a man gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Now these are crucial choices. Jesus said, this is literally a matter of life, of eternal life and death. For he focuses not only on the present choices, but on the future. He says, on the last day, when he, the Son of Man, returns in glory with his Father's glory, with the holy angels, he says, your eternal destiny will be determined on whether you followed Christ in this life or not. Look at the words again in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Those who did not deny themselves, but followed Christ, will be acknowledged by him. But those who made their choice, those of us who make the choice in this life to please ourselves, to deny or disown Jesus will be disowned by him on that day. The stakes are that high. The choice is that critical. And there is no middle course. You're either for him or against him. You either follow him and deny yourself and take up your cross, or you don't follow him at all. Let's finish where we began. You need this in your life. It seems ridiculous, if not almost blasphemous, to use the image of a cross 
to sell a television channel is something which you need in your life. Yet, how much of our lives and our time is spent on a myriad of different things, like television, instead of following Christ and being committed to his gospel and making it known? If you're a Christian, you need the cross in your life. For without it, you will never be a true follower of Christ. Following Christ involves lifelong learning. The continuous tense used there indicates that. But it also involves daily decisions to take up the cross. The word to take up the cross there, the sense of the tense there is daily decisions. In fact, in his gospel, Luke adds the word daily. He must deny himself and take up the cross daily. You see... I can be talking about this and you can go away from it and say, yeah, that's a great aim, I'm going to follow that, I'm going to do that, and uh, I want to wholeheartedly follow Christ. The test will come with all the little daily decisions about your life, your relationships, your money, your family, your career. And every time you come to one of those decisions, you're going to have to make a choice. You either go your own way, and say, I'll follow my own agenda. Or you crucify your own desires and say, not my way, but yours, Lord. You follow the way of Christ. Some of them are very big decisions. Am I willing to give up that relationship which hinders me from following Christ wholeheartedly? Some of them seem quite minor things. Or small things. That choice, maybe, I don't know, that 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 choice to give up some particular uh, thing which costs you, I don't know, £20 a month and say, I'll, I'll commit that to misery for the next year instead of doing that. These are kind of small decisions, but they're the little decisions that make up our lives, that determine whether we're prepared to deny ourselves to follow Christ. Am I willing to give up one evening a week to help with the uniformed organisations to be a brownie leader or a cub leader or a scout leader? Am I willing to say, yeah, I'll be here every Sunday, not one or two out of four, in order to help with junior church like some of the leaders who have gone out this morning? Am I willing to sacrifice those small things which accumulate into big things to make us up the kind of people that we are, whether we're really true followers of Jesus Christ? It's not a popular message, is it? It's not the kind of thing that attracts vast crowds. You'll discover from this point in Mark's Gospel, the crowds begin to drift away because the miracles begin to dry up. As Jesus goes to the cross, and eventually he goes to the cross alone, even his friends deny him and forsake him. It's not an easy route following Christ. It's the way of the cross. And today, at the beginning of the new year, we have an opportunity to respond to the call of Jesus. Maybe some of us here for the very first time to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm prepared to count the cost. I will follow him, no matter what it costs. Perhaps some of us here have failed in the past. You remember Peter. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, our Lord says, if you deny me, I'll deny you on the final day of judgment. No, there was a way back, a way of restoration. And I want to encourage you, if you've been a follower of Christ, and you've just drifted away, and and slowly, suddenly, slowly, you've gone so far, and suddenly you're brought up right, as you realize maybe this morning how far from following Christ you are this morning. Another opportunity to take up the cross to follow Christ. Today I leave you, with, as I leave myself, with a challenge and choice of the words of Jesus. 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Will you do that? Even today, what better place to do it as we come to the Lord's table where we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ denied himself, took up his cross for us. Let's sing a song together as we come around the Lord's table and then we'll use that time to commit ourselves afresh to him.